the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, uh, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We shift gears and talk with an author of uh, three novels. His uh, most recent one, I believe, is The Empty Confessional, a crime novel about pedophilia and the Catholic Church. And uh, he joins me by phone. He is Tom Hogan. Tom, good morning and welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for having me. Um, let's talk, uh, the, the books that you've written, um, The Devil's Breath is, uh, about a Jewish detective and, and, uh, his investigative reporter wife set in, uh, about Auschwitz, 1943, um, Left for Alive is a story of two brothers strikingly alike physically, but different in uh, every other way. Um, the Forever Game, A Pharma Scientist, and, um, and of course The Empty Confessional, which is a crime novel about pedophilia in the Catholic Church. Where do these topics come from? And it seems like all of a sudden you're really knocking out books. What happened? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> did you all of a sudden get a lot of extra time? I'm... Yeah, I mean, on the time front, you know, these have been percolating for a while. But I was uh, an executive out in Silicon Valley, working in the uh, the venture capital community, um, launching startups, etc. And at a certain point, you know, it I'd done enough. I I enjoyed my time there. Um, my wife is from Austin and wanted to come back here. And so we retired and that left me full time. The ideas had been there. And so the books didn't just flow, but they came out, um, pretty, pretty easily. I mean, but you know, you, as you point out, the themes are pretty heavy. They, uh, the, um, left for alive is about sexual violence and prisons and, um, you know, obviously the Auschwitz uh, uh, thriller was, uh, you know, uh, a happy subject as well, the Holocaust and then the pedophilia. But all of them, what I wanted to do was use um, the thriller or the crime novel as a means to bring a reader into it without just heading them over the head with, you know, how horrible all three of these uh, ideas, sexual violence, the Holocaust and pedophilia are. And so hopefully, and the reviewers say, you know, 
you wind up getting a lot of education, but in the context of a thriller and a thriller with a little bit of humor to it. So it, it winds up being not a slog for the readers, but, you know, hopefully an educational path, but still mostly a thriller in concept for them to approach and appreciate. Well, before you went to um, Silicon Valley, you were a lecturer of Holocaust and Genocide Studies at Santa Clara University and uh, UC Santa Cruz. Um, Tom, have you always leaned a little to the dark side? <laughs> well, that was the thing. When my wife and I uh, met... Um, she was running the Rape Crisis Center for the Bay Area, and I was teaching Holocaust studies, and people would say, you know, they're actually uh, very nice people with a good sense of humor, but just don't ask them what they do for a living. <laughs> you know, but, uh, we, were, we were of the opinion that we could uh, bring down any party within 45 seconds if you got us going about work. Um, but, yeah, it's... Um, in the case of um, uh, that first novel, Left for Alive, which had to do with sexual... People say, well, you write what you know. Well, I know nothing, uh, thankfully, about um, uh, sexual violence firsthand, either you know, um, in the people that I know and love or my own experiences. Uh, but, you know, I learned so much about it because of my wife's business and uh, the volunteer work that I did you know, that I felt like I could write about that. And then you're right, the Holocaust novel, obviously I I knew enough to, um, you know, uh, write about what I knew in terms of Auschwitz, etc. And um, with the pedophilia, uh, I had spent some time in and around the Catholic seminary system, and then uh, I spent a year uh, um, when I was getting my Ph.D. at a Protestant uh, seminary, and the differences were always so striking that, um, you know, I wound up writing some articles about uh, the difference between the religions and why the Catholicism system seems to be the most rife with pedophilia and why it's because of the structure. And then the next thing you knew, I, I had a novel on my hands. And, and about that, with some of these very serious sort of dark um, subjects how do you how do you weave humor into that well you know I mean it's you know, people will say oh my god how can you weave humor into uh, uh, you know the Holocaust or, or it was you know in the interplay between the characters the char the husband uh was a detective the wife was an investigative reporter back in warsaw and they had this kind of dark humor that brought them together and that let that kept them alive during the investigation which is a week long uh you know they were just viewing um uh Auschwitz and comparing notes because they hadn't seen each other in seven months because they were separated by sex and by camp. Um, and so that was where the humor came from. With the, um, with the uh, uh, pedophilia, it's, it's interesting in the sense that um, the, the priests that I know are pretty open about the contradictions and the, um, 
the problems that exist within uh, uh, the church and the contradictions, obviously. And, you know, for example, I remember being uh, at a dinner um, with uh, some of the Catholic seminarians that I had met, and I said to them, um, uh, you know, this was right in the middle of the AIDS crisis, and that, the AIDS crisis savaged the, um, uh, the Catholic uh, um, hierarchy. Uh, they didn't tell people about it, obviously, but it, it had a, a tremendous impact. And I remember there was a monk, a Benedictine monk, who was at the table whose uh, monastery had been devastated by AIDS. And he had the grim joke of, he goes, boy, you wouldn't, uh, you know, you wouldn't have guessed we had so many intravenous drug users in our group, did you? You know, so there was, there was that kind of humor that uh, that came with the the topics. Obviously, well, there's nothing humorous about pedophilia, but the contradictions within the church led themselves to a number of good jokes. Yeah, so. I, I'm still, um, I'm still amazed that uh, the television show Hogan's Heroes made it on the air. Just, just barely twenty years after the end of World War Two. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, when you, you know, think about that, how how, um, I I don't want to say insensitive, but it it just seemed like um, like it was too soon. Oh no! I mean, and there's another. But it thing worked. Would, yeah, there's another way to say it, and that would have been, you know, when would it ever have been right? Uh, you yeah, know, politically, yeah. culturally, uh, it's a, here's a small uh, historical side note, is um, Robert Clary, who was the little uh, French guy. Who little LeBeau. LeBeau. Yeah. Right. Turned out that he was an Auschwitz survivor. And um, he Yeah, his parents and, were killed there. Yeah. And he came up and, and lectured uh, to my university course, and then he and I went around and spoke to, you know, he, and, you know, he, he was going to, the first question was always going to be, how could you? And, you know, over a couple of drinks, he would say, come on, I'm a working actor, and I'd never, you know, you go where the money is, but he had to have a, a you know, a, a more judicious answer for his public speaking, and he, he said, um, you know, that uh, he felt that it was important to keep the subject alive, etc. But no, I absolutely agree with you. Um, you know, what, what are we going to see, you know, uh, you know, the humorous side of our, uh, the Ukraine in three years, you know, you know. So, well, uh, it reminds me of a real I'm, funny. I'm with you. I'm with it you. it yeah. reminds me of a funny exchange uh, between Lorne Michael from Saturday Night Live and then New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani, the Saturday night after September 11th. Right. And Lorne Michael said to Rudy Giuliani, he said. Can we be funny? <laughs> and Giuliani yeah. says, "Why start now?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a great, I mean, it was a great line, and it was a great yeah. icebreaker as well. Right. No, it's uh, um, 
there were comedians who would always talk about September 11th, and uh, you'd hear people cry from the audience too soon. You know, uh, and that's always something, you know, when something like that is topical, when can you uh, address it and, and, and be accepted, you know? Um, yeah, it's tough. What is it that you hope uh, people will get out of a, a crime novel about pedophilia in the Catholic Church? Is there... A, a resolution uh, in the book that we haven't seen yeah, in everyday there is. life? That's, that's a great question, Tommy. There is without it being preachy. And that is, um, you know, I think you, people need to remember that the Catholic Church has been essentially above the law for 2,000 years. And it's the rare... Um, institution that would give up that status voluntarily, you know, and just say, hey, you know, we're going to open our books. Uh, but the, the answer is, I think the church has to, A, adopt a zero tolerance, okay? Yeah, all if, the more if, reason to police themselves. You know, so start by policing yourself. The moment that there is any kind of uh, uh, accusation or anything that holds even the remotest bit of water, that priest has to be uh, taken out of parish or uh, educational responsibility. And you can take him to a retreat. You can take him to, uh, you know, a, uh, a, a center for uh, pedophilia, whatever. But they're out in terms of their mainstream responsibilities. The second thing is, and, and if, by the way, the charge has merit, either proved by a Catholic investigation or by uh, the law, then that priest is defrocked and he's on his own. Um, the second thing is you have got to open your books to the, uh, to the law. You have got to open your files and say, here's the history. Yeah, we may have uh, tolerated some things, but we've changed. And now, you know, as you go ahead and investigate, here's the past of the people involved and they haven't done that either so um they've got a long way to go and they're still in denial uh and have as they, much as i have they been have they been able to i mean i understand being able to avoid criminal prosecutions but have they been able to um to thwart uh civil cases you know they have um you know, uh, I say in the book that there's, you know, essentially a playbook for, for how to deal with these things uh, in the way that the church responds. You know, initially, is they just cast doubt on the victim. You know, you know what kids are like, etc. And then they'll start pressuring the parents, you know, and, and saying, listen, you know, if you try and take down this good man, you're going to be a pariah in this community. You know, and then they'll hey, bring Tom, in... Tom, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I need to put a comma here. I have to take a short break. Can you stick around so we can talk some more? Sure, no problem. Okay. Thanks. My guest is uh, author Tom Hogan. The name of the book is The uh, Empty Confessional, and uh, we're going to talk about that and more 
with uh, Tom after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages Hello, as darling. well. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hornets. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. 
she calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nussel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with uh, my guest this hour, who is uh, the author of um, a new book called The Empty Confessional. His name is Tom Hogan. He joins me by phone. Tom, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. No problem. Um, Tom, we were uh, talking uh, before the break about... uh, Oh, the the version of pedophilia, pedophilia and the Catholic Church in your book and in real life. Right, and uh, you know the one of the things that um, I think the easiest way for uh, your listeners to look at something like this. I mean, we all come into a movie, you know, halfway through. When it comes to life, uh, other people have created the impressions about, you know, our institutions, and um, it's hard to look at them with fresh eyes. But, you know, what I tell people is that if a, a new um, religion showed up in your town and, you know, only men were allowed to be priests, women were in subservient roles, uh, you know, and all of the trappings that come with the Catholic Church, you know, uh, priests couldn't have sex even with themselves. You know, children were at their disposal through services and groups in ways that, you know, are unhealthy. Um, what do you, what would you call that group? And, it, you know, that wouldn't be far from a cult if you looked at it with fresh eyes. It's very hard to look at the Catholic Church with fresh eyes given our exposure to it from the cradle, even if we're not Catholic. So, um, you know, I think that's one of the hard things for all of us is, you know, we need to take a fresh look and ask Catholicism to clean up its act. We can't force it to have women priests or to not have its uh, men, you know, sequestered in um, seminaries, but all of those things lead to uh, a culture of pedophilia that you won't find in other religions. Yeah, when you mention that, you know, we've all been affected, uh, whether we're Catholic or not, <laughs> they, they're they the reason that we have clam chowder on Fridays. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember Fishless Fridays. That was, uh, uh, that was a big deal up until... Uh, no, Meatless uh, Fridays. Mid- yeah, Meatless Fridays. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I mean... Uh, that was where I think the whole world learned about fish sticks, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fish fries important. every Friday night. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you encounter in in putting this book together, The Empty Confessional? I, I have to imagine that a lot of research went into it. And, you know, that's this is not a subject you just walk up to somebody and start talking about. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's personally, it's a very hard thing. You know, um, it's like, uh, you know, we're, I was talking to some friends uh, over drinks, and I said, you know, do any of you know 
men who have, you know, gone to prostitutes. No one did. Does anyone know someone who, who beats his wife? No one did. And I said, you know, we're obviously we do. We just don't know it, you know, and it's the same thing with the priests is, um, you know, some of the priests who wind up being accused are among some of the most likable and well-rounded people that you would meet. And so, yeah, it's very hard individually. Um, and so you wind up looking at it from the standpoint of, um, you know, the accusing uh, elements, the, the people who are trying to investigate it, what they come up against in the way of um, resistance from the church and from local officials, even the police, and those were where all of this started. Um, I remember writing a, an article about this as long ago as 2003 for Newsweek magazine about why the um, Catholicism was unique in the way of uh, how many of its uh, uh, clergy wound up being predators, that this couldn't be just a coincidence. And, um, well, I'll tell you the response and the hate mail and the threats um, you know, uh, we're more what you expect these days in, in our divided nation, but I certainly didn't expect in the, in the year 2003. But you're right, the research is there. Individually, it's very hard to get anecdotes from first-hand accounts, except from the victims. Are the victims um, becoming... Or, or at least feeling less stigmatized? I think so. There's, um, uh, there's a good organization called SNAP, S-N-A-P.com, um, for survivors. Uh, they get um, half of the, the proceeds from this book. And uh, they've done an excellent job of bringing people together, um, of giving them a forum and uh, as you point out, you know, explaining, not explaining to them, but, you know, having uh, other survivors speak to them about their own experiences and what worked for them. So, yeah, I believe the stigma is gone, um, I think, the same way that it uh you know, for example, you hear about this now in Ukraine. I hate to keep bringing it back to, but it's topical in the sense that right now, uh, the rapes that are going on over there, the women are stigmatized within the village because there's still that old way of thinking. And even in the middle of the war, you're having people trying to combat uh, old stereotypes and modernize the response so that they can start prosecuting uh, these soldiers after the war. And it is tough. You know, they were stigmatized in the, really up until probably the last 10 years. And I wouldn't say that it's gone away because people are always going to ask, especially the older victims, why didn't you this or that? And it's hard. Uh, it's hard for people who haven't been in that situation to understand or, or be able to, uh, sympathize with these people. I, I saw an interesting uh, editorial just recently, Tom, that that um, that observed that rape is an act of war. Yeah. And it was just an interesting way of looking at it and, and laying it out, especially in terms of 
creating a, a different environment and different thoughts about response. No, I, I remember my mother telling me when I was, I don't know, 12, 13, uh, she said, you know, if, if, if it's proven, she said, I think rape should be a capital crime. I think the person should pay with their lives because she said they have stolen the life. The person may still be alive, but they have stolen the life force and they have condemned their victim to a life of fear and, you know, et cetera. And again, a harsh way to look at it, but, you know, clearly not accurate as, you know, you're going to have to decide for yourself, but I certainly saw the logic of it. Um, what's, what's next for you, Tom? Are you, uh, at, at the rate you've been putting out books, I, I, I almost think maybe you're finishing up another manuscript already. No, this one's going to take some work, um, is, um, uh, ever since I, uh, left Silicon Valley, uh, I mean, I was still living there, but I left, uh, the consulting and launching startups, um, people, um, who knew that I, uh, had been a writer, um, before I joined, uh, the tech community said, you know, no one's ever written a good novel about, our world, Silicon Valley, startups, and VCs, the venture capitalists who, who fund the companies like Yahoo and Google and Oracle, etc. And um, so I got with a number of VCs. Uh, I had written a book years ago with my partner, Carol Broadbent, about our experiences launching um, 50 startups and um it was modestly called the ultimate startup guide. Um, and uh, we interviewed probably 25 VCs that we'd worked with when they brought their companies to us. And, um, <clears throat> all of those people stayed in touch or I stayed in touch with them. And, um, so I'm now working with them on a, again, a, a crime novel or a thriller, but based in Silicon Valley with the idea of, um, tracking a woman who the Holy Grail out there in the longevity community. And that's a, a bizarre community in and of itself. I can, I can tell you amazing stories about people, billionaires who are experimenting on their own bodies to try and live forever, but to get in that community. Uh, so a lot of research because I don't know, you know, my ass from my elbow about the technology of, you know, uh, microbiology and cell and, you know, et cetera. But the idea of finding a cure, uh, essentially for death has been the Holy grail. And that's what I'll be writing about is a woman who cracks the code, but it's not that easy to bring the technology to market. And, and it centers around a pharma scientist who's researching a cure for her mother's terminal uh, disease. And in right. the process, comes up with something that would extend life, literally doubling it. Um, is and I'm not exactly sure how to ask this, Tom, but but I'll stumble mm -hmm. through it as best yeah. I can. Um, was this story set aside to finish the empty confessional because of the pandemic and and maybe the feeling that talking about this world of uh, pharma science might 
you know, not a, play well? As an, it's a great question, Tom. It's the answer to that is uh, um, no. And and here's how it happened: is um, uh, a friend of mine, <clears throat> and uh, he's um, one of the top-rated uh, VCs in the world uh, for ten years. Uh, Midas, uh, Forbes had him at the top of their Midas list. Uh, he and I have uh, gone way back, and he'd always wanted to write a book with me. Um, it's the one thing that he says he he doesn't do well and would love to improve. And so when I was thinking about the next book, he and I went out for drinks and I said, you know, I can do the characters, I can do the plot, but I can't do, you know, the amazing technology. You have people come by your office all the time pitching you on new ideas. Is there something that, uh, that would really strike you as, and as, impressive technology that the general market could and he goes on and on about uh, a possible google replacement that he's spending money on and the way they're going to replace their algorithms and i just went no 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 you're missing this one algorithms logarithms you're going to lose my audience we need something else and then he tells me that he was on a boat um in the adriatic off of the you know the coast of italy and uh, um uh, Croatia and with a bunch of other billionaires and they were all discussing biohacking. Now, have you ever heard of biohacking, Tom? Cause I hadn't. I, I have. Okay. Uh, I, I have and, essentially it is the way that, that code is strung together to hack computers. Um, it's, it's, uh, uh, it has to do with DNA and genomes and, right, and splicing exactly. code together to create hybrid life. And that's, uh, that's, that's what as, happened. That's as much as I know about it, Tom. I just that's gave okay. you. This, I gave you my whole ahead. lecture. <laughs> you're way ahead of, of of the general readers and your listeners and me on that. You know, is so he starts talking about that they're all comparing notes on what they're doing to themselves. you got to understand, these guys are all, you know, uh, multimillionaires, if not billionaires, you know, with the, the life of Riley. They've all got their own jets, you know, et cetera. And yet here they are, you know, putting magnets inside their body because it'll do this or that. They're microdosing with LSD for mental clarity. Um, you know, it's just, and I just, that I, I just, he was in the middle of his stories, and I just said, stop. I said, that's the, that's the topic of the book, is this goal of living forever, and, uh, and, and the things that you guys will do, you know, uh, to get there. And so that was how the book started. It started right in the middle of the pandemic, and um, now it's, it's a matter of the stories coming together very nicely, now what I need to do is spend time with scientists so that I can come up with a technical solution that you and I could appreciate, but that the scientists would say, you know, that's not bad. You know, uh, <laughs> it's impossible, but at least it doesn't sound ridiculously simple. So uh, that part of the research is the next uh, part of my uh, 
obligations as a writer. Yeah, where are the Carl Sagan's of the world, Tom, the people that uh, understand science can explain it to regular people? <laughs> yeah, especially, uh, you know, in this thing where you're talking about, as you talked about, DNA and slicing genes and reversing, you know, the, uh, the functions of cells, and I'm going, this is going to be a challenge, you know, how to make this, uh, I mean, Look at the three subjects that I did before, you know, sexual violence, Holocaust, and pedophilia. Everyone knows those. Now I'm chart, you know, I, living forever, yes, everyone gets that. But how you get there uh, in a way that doesn't make you fall asleep as you read about it, that's going to be an interesting challenge. Well, it's... it's um an interesting topic to be sure and i and i think if uh handled the way you suggest it's going to be it's going to be another really good one tom the um i i want to well before i before i go to this next question i just wanted to share with you because you you might have a silly enough sense of humor to appreciate it a friend of mine used to tell a joke about how how can you tell the difference between a male chromosome and a female chromosome and the answer is pull down its genes. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Not too many people have a joke at the ready for. Uh, <laughs> they are. Uh, well, I was uh, I was um, with some new neighbors the other day, and the guy was uh, an engineer. Uh, you know, of which the Silicon Valley is just replete. You know, and um, uh, another engineer uh, CEO. Um, I said, you know, why'd they pick you? Because, you know, there were four founders. And he said, he said, well, I'm the most outgoing of the group. And he says, um, you know how you can tell an extroverted uh, um, engineer. And I said, no. And I said, uh, he looks at your shoes while he's talking rather than his. You know, <laughs> and, uh, uh, that, that is kind of, uh, uh, you know, that's the, that's the people that I was living with. I mean, they were absolute geniuses cracking the code on this and that and yet you know uh if their socks matched it was it was by chance well you let, know, let uh, me let me ask you this about the uh, about the book my um, guest is tom hogan the book is the empty confessional i wanted to ask you about that title because it completely threw me off and i'll tell you why just recently i did an interview with a minister who had written a book that was based on the fact that the great resignation was happening in American churches, too. Mm -hmm. And so when I read The Empty Confessional, my mind went there. Right. And, and so and I just wondered how this, uh, you know, how this, how this title fits over top of this story. Well, two uh, two factors, and you you nailed one of them, Tom, and that was the idea that uh, you know around the um, even within the Catholic Church, um, it's not just that uh, they're losing numbers in terms of followers or believers, but even just something as simple as um, if you grew up in in my age. Uh, Confession was almost something that was required of you before you went to communion. And so it was, you know, the confessionals were packed. 
now no one sees the need for that. If they need to confess anything, they'll go on social media and write about it, you know. And so the confessionals are empty, both of believers and of believers who don't believe in that sacrament anymore. But the other part of the of your answer is that the priest in my book is um, he's essentially a, a screwed up guy, you know, who's trying to make sense of his calling uh, in the midst of everything that he's learning through the confessional, you know, of people confessing this and that and um, his own doubts. And so he's going to confession and wondering if there's any, one on the other side of the wall listening to him. So that's, it has a dual meaning, uh, both the, uh, both the, the numbers of people who are dropping away from the church and from confession and this one priest's individual uh, needs within the confessing arena. Well, I'll, I'll tell you my, my one confessional joke. It's, it's kind of terrible, and I won't do the whole long, dragged-out setup, but oh. it boils down to a guy goes into a confessional and he starts telling the priest about this wild sexual adventure he had with a much younger woman. And the priest can tell that the guy is not Catholic. And he interrupts him and says, why are you telling me? And he says, I'm telling everybody. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you probably heard that one. Hey, um, I can't believe how fast the time has gone, Tom. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. And... Um, again, the, the name of the book is The Empty Confessional. It's a crime novel about pedophilia and the Catholic Church with uh, just enough humor to, to make it uh, uh, readable and, and enjoyable for such a difficult topic. Um, Tom, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share? I do. Uh, the book will be out um, in the latter part of May, probably in about two weeks. It'll be available on Amazon. Uh, the website is www.tomhogan with a hyphen, T O M hyphen H O G A N dot com. And, uh, no, uh, the time's gone by on my end as well, Tom. Thanks very much for the, the great questions. Well, it's been a real pleasure, Tom, and uh, thanks for spending this time with me and the listeners, and keep up the good work. Okay, thanks again. All right, bye-bye. Again, Tom Hogan is uh, author of three novels. The Empty Confessional, a crime novel about pedophilia and the Catholic Church, is his latest uh, the Devil's Breath is a thriller based in uh, Auschwitz. And Left for Alive is a crime novel uh, from 2019. He's uh, also the co-writer of the, or co-author of the uh, Ultimate Startup Guide, which he referred to as we were talking. Anyway, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back with the uh, final segment of today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. If you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 LPFM Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com 
we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We'll be back with uh, the final segment of today's edition of the Tom Sumner program right after this. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMagno. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan with Blood Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom It's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. 
Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company, and then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I'd like to take you now on wings of song, as it were, and try and help you forget, perhaps for a while, your drab, wretched lives. (laughs) Here's a song all about springtime in general, and in particular about one of the many delightful pastimes that the coming of spring affords us all. Spring is here, a suffering is here Life is skittles and life is beer I think the loveliest time of the year is the spring I do, don't you? Of course you do But there's one thing that makes spring complete for me And makes every Sunday a treat for me all the world seems in tune on a spring afternoon when we're poisoning pigeons in the park. <laughs> Every Sunday you'll see my sweetheart and me as we poison the pigeons in the park. When they see us coming, the birdies all try and hide, but they still go for peanuts when coated with cyanide. The sun's shining bright, everything seems all right when we're poisoning pigeons in the park. We've gained notoriety and caused much anxiety in the Audubon Society with our games. They call it impiety and lack of propriety and quite a variety of unpleasant names. But it's not against any religion to want to dispose of a pigeon. So if someday you're free, why don't you come with me and we'll poison the pigeons in the park. And maybe we'll do in a squirrel or two while we're poisoning pigeons in the park. We'll murder them all amid laughter and merriment Except for the few we take home to experiment My pulse will be quickening with each drop of strickening We feed to a pigeon, it just takes a smidgen To poison a pigeon in the park She wheels her wheelbarrow Through streets that are narrow 
Her barrow is narrow, her hips are too wide. So wherever she wheels it, the neighborhood feels it. Her girdle keeps scraping the homes on each side. In Dublin's fair city, where girls are so pretty, my Molly stands out cause she weighs 18 stone. It's 256 pounds. I don't mind her fat, but... It's not only that, but... She's cockeyed and muscle-bound, Molly Malone. Know a man, his name is Lang, and he has a neon sign. And Mr. Lang is very old, so they call it Old Lang Sign. Oh, what have you done, Billy Sal, Billy Sal? Oh, what have you done, Charming Billy? You took almost every cent from the U.S. government Which you spent on fertilizer, which is silly <laughs> All day, all night, Cary Grant That's all I hear from my wife is Cary Grant What can he do that I can't? Big deal, big star, Cary Grant. Oh, the moon is bright tonight upon the car wash. So I'm having my Volkswagen washed again. But the way things go with me, the way my luck runs, just as soon as they're finished, it will rain. On top of old Smokey, all covered with hair. Of course, I'm referring to Smokey the Bear. Here's a famous old folk song that you all know entitled Aura Lee. Every time you take vaccine, take it orally. As you know, the other way is more painfully. My grandfather's clock was the best ever made by the Timex Company. Just like the clock John Cameron Swayze displayed last night on the old TV. Oh, it works underwater so perfectly, and it still makes a ticking sound. Which my grandfather tried only this afternoon And that's how the old man drowned <laughs> Do not make a stingy sandwich pile the cold cuts high Customers should see salami coming through the rice
I diet all day and I diet all night. It's enough to drive me bats. Got no gravy or potatoes, cause the whole refrigerator's full of polyunsaturated fats. Fairly well, Metrical, and the others of that ilk. Let the diet start tomorrow, cause today I'll drown my sorrow in a double malted milk. When you go to the delicatessen store, don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. I repeat what I just said before. Don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. Oh, buy the corned beef if you must. The pickled herring you can trust. And the locks puts you in orbit. A okay. But that big hunk of liverwurst has been there since October 1st And today is the 23rd of May So when you go to the delicatessen store Don't buy the liverwurst Don't buy the liverwurst Don't buy the liverwurst It'll make your insides awful sore Don't buy the liverwurst Don't buy the liverwurst This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. Thanks for tuning in everybody. I really appreciated uh, all of the guests that I had a chance to talk to today including uh, Tom Hogan, author of The Empty Confessional and before that during the uh, 10 o'clock hour of our three-hour tour, the second hour, we talked with um, National Geographic contributor Stephanie Pearson about their book uh, 100 Great American Parks and Flint author Connor Coyne kicking everything off this morning with the completion of his Urbantasm uh, series. Uh, book four is, uh, is out. The Spring Storm. Anyway, I'll be back tomorrow with Armchair Politics. Good night, everybody. Sumner program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. 
most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.